Timothy. On over now to the short little letter to Titus. And we're going to think about Titus. Again, with an overview of chapter 1. And a little bit of background on this apostle, Titus. And uh, what I'd like to do is go ahead and read uh, Titus chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, you'll find it right following First, Second Timothy. And then there's a little Titus there. Titus. So, <coughs> here's, the, uh, here's the text. From Paul, the slave of God and the messenger of Jesus Christ. I've been sent to bring faith to those God has chosen to teach them to know God's truth. Kind of truth changes lives so that they can have eternal life, which God promised them before the world began. He cannot lie. And now in his own good time, he has revealed this good news and permits me to tell it to everyone. By command of God our Savior, I've been trusted to do this work for him. To Titus, who is truly my son in the affairs of the Lord, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you his blessings and his peace. I left you there on the island of Crete so that you could do whatever was needed to help strengthen each of its churches. And I ask you to appoint pastors to every city who would follow the instructions that I gave you. The men you choose must be well thought of for their good lives. You must have only one wife. The children must love the Lord and not have a reputation for being wild disobedient to their parents. These pastors must be men of blameless lives because they are God's ministers. They must not be proud or impatient. They must not be drunkards or fighters or greedy for money. They must enjoy having guests in their home. They must love all that is good. They must be sensible men and fair. They must be clean-minded and level-headed. Their belief in the truth which they have been taught must be strong, steadfast, so that they may be able to teach it to others and show those who disagree with them where they are wrong. But there are many who refuse to obey. This is especially true among those who say that all Christians must obey Jewish laws. But this foolish talk, it binds people and it blinds people to the truth. It must be stopped. Already, whole families have been turned away from the grace of God. 
Such teachers are only after your money. One of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, these men of Crete are all, all liars. They're like lazy animals living only to satisfy their stomachs. And this is true. So, speak to the Christians there as sternly as necessary to make them strong in the faith. To stop them from listening to Jewish folk tales and demands of men who have turned their backs on the truth. A person who's pure of heart sees goodness and purity in everything. But a person whose own heart is evil and untrusting, they find evil in everything. For his dirty mind and rebellious heart color all his through his ears. Such persons claim they know God, but from seeing the way they act, one knows they don't. They are rotten, disobedient, virtuous, so far as doing anything good is concerned. And there ends the lesson for today. <coughs> Chapter 1 of Titus. As he gives these stern admonitions to young Timothy, Paul is anxious for a job to be done. And he has this man in mind to do it. A man who traveled with him in missionary much from Jerusalem and around the different Greek places and back again. And now Paul is writing to him as he is on the island of Crete. Crete. <coughs> Paul gives him instructions today we follow. He instructs him to set up leadership in the churches there. And he gives him a stern, long warning about something you might call legalism. And we're going to talk about both of those things, and leadership there and, and legalism. But, but first, we need to do some background work because uh, this is an interesting letter to an interesting person in an interesting place. It's an interesting letter because one thing is very short and yet very powerful. As, as we go through it, we will we will see that. It's, it's a very special person here. A young man or old man. I'm not sure. We're not positive, but he must be a young man for the work that's cut out for him. And for how long he lasted on that island. He was a Gentile, so we think. Only because the Bible well, says so. It says that Paul would not circumcise this young man because he was a Gentile. But he would circumcise Timothy. You see, Paul was moving in a, in a relationship with the ability of evangelization in mind. What would work? What wouldn't? In certain places. Crete is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's an island. A very, very self-contained island, about 200 miles off the coast of Greece. 
It sits there shaped like a hot dog, more or less, 160 miles long, 37 miles, maybe down to seven, wide. You see, it's not very wide, but very, very long. In Paul's day, it was full of different little small cities. I don't know how many, but at least more than 20. And they were scattered throughout terrain that was beautiful. Mountainous, yes. A few plains, yes. And a little bit of everything. Rocky coast, you walk down to some of the most gorgeous beaches and towns in the whole world. It was so in Paul's day. Paul once sailed past it, he mentioned, and they, they got under the protection of it by getting in the lee, that is to say, on the windless side because the mountains protected the boat. Now Paul states that they sailed past in the lee there. So he knew it was there. Maybe Titus sits there. Well, we don't know too much about what happened to Titus as if he got to be an old man. Somehow or another, the Greek Orthodox Church has come up with Titus's skull, which is a very, uh, this is not a very pleasant topic, but uh, for many years, the city of Venice in Italy claimed Crete and took Titus's skull back to Venice. And it was in a church where, it was, where I visited one time, St. Mark's in Venice. But in the 60s, it was given back to Crete. And it's, it looks like that skull is inside of a silver brown globe with all sorts of ornate designs on it. And that's covered with glass. And that is in a church now on the island of Crete. It's a, a popular place for tourists to go. I don't know where it is in the church, probably behind the altar. Most of those Orthodox churches, they put the relics out of sight <coughs> in an alcove behind the altar, and you have to make a pilgrimage processional to go around behind the altar to see the particular relic. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to you to bring you up to speed to modern day. You see, th these things are not just uh, products of a book in the Bible. They are things that are extant in the world. They exist. They're there. They're there for you to see and, and to look at and to observe. How can you do it? Well, you can certainly do it with YouTube. Go there and look at the island of Crete, and you'll see what I'm telling you is true about how beautiful it is and how, how sweet it is. But it's also a tough place. It's tough in Paul's day. Rough. Some of the people there were hard-minded and tough-minded. Titus became bishop of the island of Crete over all the churches that were there. <coughs> well, if you're like me, don't you wonder where in the world the churches came from? How did they beat Paul there? How did they get there ahead of, you know, ahead of Titus? Titus is going there now to go all over that island and try to raise up leadership in these house churches, try to try to bring some order to them. Where'd they come from? Well, if you look at the book of Acts, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes down upon that crowd and 
they begin speaking in tongues and get fire on them like, like out of heaven of tongues, fire and tongue. All that's going on there. The coming of the Holy Spirit. People are explicitly mentioned as being present. And one of them, all of them, some of them that were present were Cretans. So they evidently, the Cretans took this gospel, took this doctrine of the Holy Spirit back to the island, to the island of Crete. And they were regular transportation, regular shipping run from Crete over to Israel. They simply went home and began the church life there. They may have been Jewish because Jewish had a regular route. They went from Crete to Jerusalem for a holy celebration by sailing ship. And they went back again. So the transportation is there. So you see, the Bible sometimes comes true in the weirdest way. But that's how those churches got there. Because we think, you know, the book of Acts and the Luke-Acts tradition is as true as it can be. So there they were, waiting now for leadership. The whole bunch of what you might call libertine, non-denominational, Lord knows what all, all mixed up together, all believing different things. And here comes now Paul sending the administrator. Titus is not a bird of foolishness. He's going to bring order where there isn't any. How's he going to do it? Well, he's going to set up leadership. He's going to appoint bishops or head pastors, elders, they call them, in each of these little places he can find them. First thing he's going to do is find somebody to lead it, be a firm leader, be the leader, if there isn't already one there. You know, many times now, where they say there's no leader, there is one. I don't know if you've ever worked in church or not, but in church work, we, we used to call, uh, when you went to a new church, you you would wait and find out who the real leader was because they'd give you a piece of paper, you know, with with the lay leadership on it that they had put together for the district superintendent or whoever was the administrator. And you could take that, look at it, and throw it in the trash. And then you'd sit down and you'd look and you wait a while and you'll figure out who the real leader is. There's often somebody not even on the paper at all. Somebody who's just sitting over the corner. But the North Carolina definition for church leader is what's called the bell cow. That cow that has the bell on her. Whatever she does, the others will follow. Whatever she does, the others will follow because they hear that bell and they know it. A bell cow will go to the barn in the afternoon for supper. And when she starts going to the barn, the bell starts ringing. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And all the other cows get in line and go behind the bell cow. Every congregation has got a bell cow. May be a bell bull. I don't know. But in this case, in this case, it may have been one or the other. We don't know. But each one of them had leadership that had to be developed. Titus was in charge of this. Now we get this recipe of what they're supposed to be like. And the recipe we've heard before. <coughs> we got much of it. <coughs> Excuse me. We got much of it from the earlier passages in first and second Timothy. 
But this administrative work requires work. That is, it's, it's not playing around in worship. It's hard behind-the-scenes work to teach them. How do you reach them? How do you teach them? Now, Paul loves Titus, and uh, says he does. And Titus is appointed and assigned an assignment to get these elders together in every city. They got to be blameless. That is, you can't get them out of jail and use them. They are people. These are people that have a history of being good people. You've got to do a background check on them, more or less. Take time. If you're going to be a church leader, look back behind them and see. This is what Paul's advice is. Now, it seems like, like it doesn't have a whole lot of grace in it. You know, you're sometimes a good church leader, I think, might have had a checker past, but now we'll make a great church leader. <coughs> <coughs> They're not to be mean fighters. Drunkards, drunk every night. Once a young man was trying to go into the ministry, and I was trying to encourage him. His wife came in and said, he's not going to ever be a a preacher. I said, well, what's wrong? And she said, well, he gets drunk every night and goes to bed on the sofa. I thought, my Lord, my Lord, what a life. Uh, Well, that's why you have to do the check, take time, because... Drunkenness can can make you want to do something sometime, and all you wind up doing is is going to sleep on the sofa. They're not to be quarrelsome, or greedy, fighting over something, not gluttonous. But in a positive light, he said they have to be hospitable. That is, they have to welcome guests into their home. You may remember that passage there. They have to have a fondness for guests. That's a great thing for a leader of a church to have because a lot of church work is in a kitchen somewhere. A lot of church work is around a table. It gets done when you are entertaining or putting on a supper or something. That's particularly true in in, in persuasions other than Western persuasions. For example, the Korean church will hardly ever get together without a meal. It's doubly important. When worship is over, they eat together. It's a cycle. Worship over, eat together. Eat together, worship. Worship over, eat together. The same thing applies a little less so in uh, Latin American world, but it does still the same. It's a party. It's a party. Going to church is a party. They sing, celebrate, eat, carry on, go home. But this is a kind of church work that perhaps Titus was introducing now. They have to be temperate. That means they have to have self-control. Anybody that flies off the handle is not going to make a great church leader because so many times you have to control your own appetites. Now you have to be content with not getting what you want 100%, but be content with the 50% that you might get. You understand? That's church work is designed and cut out for somebody who is hospitable and temperate. No, no, don't get all excited and upset all the time. They have to be just, which means they have to look at the world in an ethical way. 
So for equality, they have to have a holy or a divine character about them, as opposed to uh, authoritative, stylistic, uh, driving dictator type. You have to be more or less a gentle character. These are the people that were holding fast there. These were the people that were designed to build a church around because they had to have a steadfast leader. So this is what Titus is admonished to go and get. Go get it. So he hits that trail on that island of Crete. And boy, that is up and down work. They have steps on that island that were built long before the days of Jesus. That's an ancient Minoan culture. People there run up and down hills like billy goats. And it's a tough place. It's also today a tourist attraction. To get there, you can go there by air. Incidentally, there's a direct flights to Crete out of the United States. But uh, most of the people come there by ferry from Athens over Pyrea, which is near Athens, over to Crete. But they got these big jet boats and they're tremendous size thing. And the people get on there and it just looks like an inside of a 747. Even bigger than that, it looks like inside of an auditorium. A lot of seats in there. You look that up, you look up uh, jet ferries to Crete and you'll see how they run across the water. It takes six hours to get from mainland Greece over to uh, 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 Crete. Six, almost seven hours. So that's a, and they only go once a week, but they get a big crowd over there and take a big crowd back and then back again. So um, there you have the, the, the side of that thing. And, and another point to remember is that that um, he warns them against this legalism thing. Don't uh, be teaching for wealth and subverting the gospel. A legalist is somebody who believes very strongly in the law. They call them nominists. Uh, they have a, a real sense of the law. And uh, then on the other hand, you have an antinomian. Don't believe in anything like law. Don't need the law. All you need is Jesus and the gospel and maybe two or three little hymns and we'd be all right. But you don't, don't, don't worry about the law. See? It's almost as if Moses isn't even in the Bible. Just, just Jesus. Give me more and more Jesus. And if you have any Moses or Isaiah or something like that, read that at another time. But on the other side, you have these Norman people who believe in nothing but the law. You know, tell you exactly what you have to do. And that makes some people comfortable, especially the Hebrew mind in this day, the Jewish Christian. They liked it because it told you exactly what you had to do. You could go outdoors and do it and get it done. He talks about Jewish fables. Not many of it is not around in today's literature, but it was just like today, but it was back then. They had uh, verses that created discussion about what they should do. But these, these arguments about legalism exist today. <coughs> in, in the life of the church, legalism exists as, as uh, a people who think that, that the right way to do something is the right way to do it, and that's the only way to do it. 
you, you don't have to be talking about religion. You can be talking about, uh, you know, replacing a, a chandelier in the church. Uh, some people say, well, we, we don't need that. We don't need that. You can get light from a cheaper source. See? Then you have another crowd say, oh, we don't need that to guide us into this. Let's think about something else. Let's think about let's think about beauty and and, and, and not be go well. If you put that chandelier, and that's going to cost a whole lot of money to, to run it. And electricity is going to go up. And then over here, we yeah, but it'll be it'll be beautiful. And you don't have any idea about cost of something. Just going off into a world of ethereal antinomianism. Yes, and nomianism over here. You know, the old story, the church we had a. a Somebody gave the church an actual chandelier, and it was a beautiful thing, huge. And uh, they were voting as to whether or not to receive it. The person gave the chandelier, but they couldn't give it outright. They had to, the church had to receive it first, and they were voting on that. And one old farmer said, and they're sitting in the back, said, we don't need one of them there chandeliers, he said. We don't need it because ain't nobody around here can play it anyway. <laughs> He's a musical. <coughs> well, that's about it for me today. But I hope you enjoyed this first chapter in the background on Titus. We'll do a little bit more of that each time perhaps, but next time I see you, maybe we'll get into the second chapter and then the third is going to increase. And together we'll get a new, fresher vision of the man who became the bishop of Crete, a wonderful island in the Mediterranean. Well, God bless you, each one of you. I hope you have just a marvelous, wonderful day. I really enjoy being with you this way. And I know that God loves you, and I do too. So I bid you farewell. Correndo e olhando para trás E eu o vejo de coração aberto Para receber o pecador E eu olho estrela Estrela, alva, 
brilha a luz que inunda o meu Yeah.